My name is Evan Yamada, and this is my story. God and church was nowhere near my life when I was growing up, and turned to other things and started in high school, and got into drugs and, and alcohol at a pretty young age, and that carried me all the way till college. Then I started to isolate and started thinking about suicide. Made about three different plans of how I was going to do it. I was all the way down to the bottom to where I was in my upstairs bathroom and so afraid of friends and my parents that were trying to help me. My name is Tara Burns and this is my story. Growing up, we didn't live in like a Christian household. We weren't forced to read the Bible or go to summer camp or anything. My dad actually, his parents were from a Buddhist temple and my mom went to Catholic school. So anything was kind of goes with religion. And I remember in college, I was um, talked to by two girls that were on my dorm floor and they told me that if I didn't accept Jesus Christ right then and there, that they couldn't be friends with me and that I was going to hell. So I pretty much avoided Christian kids after that. Hello, I'm Jack Rowell, and this is my story. Um, it was probably 15 years ago. Um, I was a pretty big partier um, living in L.A., and I was a believer, but I wasn't sure what I was a believer in. Then my niece passed away, and I was so mad at God and even uh, doubted that there was a God if something like that could happen, and just quit drinking, just put it down. I was tired of it, thought this was going to fix my life, and um, it didn't. Um, I was still searching. gave Christ my life, and Christ saved me from so much despair and so much agony, and has given me so much hope and motivation and a reason to keep moving forward. So after I was saved, um, became baptized, got involved with a small group, and I'm doing things to help me walk with Jesus and hopefully get other people to walk with Him also. In 2007, I was baptized by my fiance, and it was an amazing experience to look across the room and see people who truly love and care about you. I finally knew what was important in my life. Romans 10, 14. How then can they call on the one that they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching? 
someone living it before them. And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. We are one week out from us gathering here as a church family for a whole weekend for the Plan A conference. And we had such a large ramp up, uh, ramp up, a build up to you coming to be a part of Plan A. But it's easy to forget that which we were challenged by. But with Easter standing before us, I trust that you won't. God's Plan A is to send us out to preach, to live, to communicate the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, that we celebrate his death, his resurrection, his power to come as his spirit into your life and change life. We get to steward that message and that ministry. God's plan A is you and me. There is no plan B. And I want to challenge you as pastor this morning to take the next two weeks and to grab a hold of three names of people that you can be praying for, that maybe you can build a conversation with, and maybe you can invite to an Easter Sunday service. We want to support God's plan A working through your life. Now, I know some of our friends, family, even some of our enemies would never shadow the door of a church, and that's cool. They're going to maybe hear it or see it lived through your life, but we want to partner with what you're doing. And so I want you to grab a hold of three names and take a post-it note. I almost passed out the post-it notes again today, but you can find a post-it note and put the names on the post-it note, stick it on your bathroom mirror, and pray and ask for God to give you opportunities to be able to reach into their life. And we're going to pray that God uses this Easter season to bring good news to people, but that good news is that they too have been chosen to live the good life in Jesus Christ. In fact, we got Palm Sunday coming next week, which I hope that you celebrate. I think I left my clicker here, just a second. And we have Palm Sunday, which will be a great celebration next week, and then Good Friday service, and then Easter, so that whole Passion Week kind of narrative, you need to dial into it, as Pastor John mentioned and exhorted us to this morning. But then the Sunday following Easter, we're going to do something we haven't done for a while around here. If there are individuals who are desiring to follow the Lord in uh, full uh, obedience to Him, we are going to be having a baptism service the following Sunday after Easter. And so I know some of you have made interest to in me, and I want to encourage you on the back of your Connect card, if you want to be baptized, or if you'd like to talk about being baptized, just put your name there. There's baptism interest. You can check that box. We are going to follow up with you. And on Sunday, April the 16th, we're going to have a baptism service as a part of our normal service. And yeah, we bring in a, a water tank, and we set it up, and we're all good to go in here, right? But we are also then, after that Sunday morning, going to have uh, an April all-church gathering, and we're just going to have a meal together. And so I want us to see the next three weeks, Palm Sunday, Easter, the Sunday after Easter, as a beautiful run of worship time. And I want you to endear yourself to it, not like, oh yeah, I'll, I'll make it, I'll be there, Carrie. I want you to be active in God's plan 
for his gospel to bring transformation into the lives of other people. Maybe it's somebody you wouldn't dare think that you could talk to or invite to church or try to encourage them in their life. Just ask the Lord, who are three people? Three people that we, uh, as individual servants of Jesus in his plan, be sent out to be a part of their life. You do that, I want you to grab a hold of those three names. You got them? We're going to pray for them right now. One, two, three. Ready? Lord Jesus, in these moments, we have three blanks, three individuals, first names. Here are their names, Lord. We lift them to you. Jesus, may you lead us strategically in their life to encourage them, to love on them, to support them, to offer gifts of service to them. And Lord, as you would lead, maybe we could unpack the story of our life with them. And as surely as these three brief stories we heard here just here this morning, there are individuals out in the highways and the byways of life who desperately need redemption, change, good news, the good life that you've called us to live in you. So Lord, may we be about people that you love and care for. And may we be about filled, being filled with your spirit and being sensitive to be your kingdom laborers as you send us out. For indeed, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Lord, may it be true for the awakening church here that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are increasing. And may we devote ourselves to your service for your glory through changed lives in these weeks ahead. And God's people said, amen. Well, great. We are going to jump back into the series that we've been in. It was great having uh, Santi share with us last week from Mexico City and a part of Ford's ministry and his heart. But we're going to jump back into the Sermon on the Mount. we got just a few weeks here where we're going to be finishing up what Jesus gave as the greatest sermon that's ever been recorded. If you remember when we started the Sermon on the Mount, we just read it straight through. Matthew 5, Matthew 6, and Matthew 7 is where it was recorded. And the words of Jesus that he spoke on this very hillside, this was the Sea of Galilee, and he spoke it probably on the north side of the Sea of Galilee. He was preaching to probably hundreds of people. The very words that Jesus spoke were life-giving words, but they were also very challenging words, sometimes hard words. He was reordering the way that we as human beings should think about God and God's kingdom. He was caught in a system during his day of a lot of ritual, rules, regulation, and religious zealots that were oppressing people. And he came to speak to people that faith in God was not oppressive, was not constricting, it was liberating. Maybe you had that perception of God in your life. Sometimes we walk people through a discipleship journey called Rooted. And one of the, the key parts of Rooted in the early weeks is what's your concept of God? Was your concept of God growing up as a great supreme being that was sort of disconnected and maybe out there in the universe somewhere was your concept of God, someone who was a, a police officer maybe that was checking on you all the time? Was your concept of God growing up that he was just a judge ready to, to, to whack you if you got out of line? What was your concept of God? Jesus was trying to realter 
their thinking concerning who God was and what life in the kingdom of God would be like if they chose to follow him. He was speaking to a body of people that had a lot of hypocrisy around him. And he addressed that hypocrisy, and we've addressed that some in, in Matthew the 5 and the 6. But today, we step into chapter 7. And chapter 7, he has in his mind the human tendency, our human nature is this way, to be judgmental people. Now, I don't know why we have a tendency sometimes to be judgmental, other than uh, that we are fallen sinful individuals, and, and we know sometimes that sort of isn't right, and that's wrong, and, and, and then we carry it forward in our relationships. But Christians today get accused an awful lot of being, what, judgmental. And so Jesus, in chapter 7 of this Sermon on the Mount concerning the good life, says, you Christians... No, he says, if you're going to be a follower of me and enter into the life in the kingdom of God, it's not a life of judgment. It's a life, actually, of grace. And all of us in this room can use some grace because there's none in this room that measure up to the standard of God, and we need his grace. But we live in a world where things are getting tougher, tougher and tougher, and there's a lot of judgment that's going on. And so Jesus says these words, Matthew 7, do, do not judge. Do not judge for if you judge, you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. How many of you have heard that verse before? How many have had somebody shout at you that verse? It's almost like, you know, there's certain verses we know and we don't know, and if you're non-Christian, this seems to be one of those favorite verses that people know. And if you put it in the King James Version, it's judge not lest you be judged. And it's not like judge not lest you be judged. It's like judge not lest you be judged. Judge not. Judge not lest you be judged. And you're like, hello, chill. What do you, what do you mean by that? And a lot of times what people mean by it is don't you dare call me out for something in my life that's wrong. How dare you? How dare you? A pot calling the kettle black kind of idea, right? How dare you? Judge not lest you be judged. Well, what was Jesus really saying when he said this? He was dealing on this hillside with individuals who were caught in the web of a lot of hypocrisy around them by the religious leaders. And so he's carrying some of this theme of hypocrisy. But a lot of times, this phrase, judge not lest you be judged, especially in our contemporary culture right now, is being used to say, don't make any qualifications of biblical morality anywhere. 
Is that what Jesus is saying? Don't have any standards by which there is a morality that's determined if something's right or something's wrong. Judge not lest you be judged. He's not saying that at all. In fact, Jesus has a lot of commands to distinguish between right and wrong. But in our culture, there's this shift and this movement, this pressure, if you will, to not have any moral values, that everything comes down to whatever you prefer, just be nice, right? Get along with everybody. Don't make a judgment call on someone else, whatever it may be. He's, he's not going in that direction. He's talking about really the spirit in which we navigate to find the good life. The word judgment actually is leaning towards a better translation of saying condemnation. Judge not lest you be judged. Don't you stand and condemn people. And why? Because it's not your job or my job to condemn anyone. It's not. But we are called to be able to discern between what's right and wrong for the glory of God and for the health of our own life. So judge not lest you be judged is, is leaning into this idea of condemnation. Friends, there is one judge ultimately in the world. And when the time comes, as we worship this morning, you know, when, when that day comes, that, that he will be okay taking care of what's going on in our world. But that doesn't mean that we soften up and we step back and go, yeah, but I'm not really quite sure where all this has gone in the culture and I'm not sure um, we need to speak up for what's right and what's wrong. And without question, we do need to bring clarity. We need to bring discernment. There's nothing wrong in saying biblically what is right and what's wrong, but it's not our place as a Christian to condemn people and move them into a place of judgment. And we're going to be talking about that here a little bit this morning and, and how we really have a judging standard and what Jesus is articulating here as a judging standard and where that needs to go. This is the interpretation I like best from this passage. Judge not lest you be judged. He's really saying judge others, have discernment. Judge others in the same measure that you wished to be judged. Now, with this kind of phrasing, it helps me a lot because I, have you ever been judged, maybe rightly or wrongly, have you ever been judged wrongly? That's even worse, right? Someone makes some belief or statement about you, and it's like, well, that's not really me. I don't. And, and, and you just you feel condemned, right? And then you can't even defend yourself. There's been some times in my life where it didn't matter what I did. I could try to truck, walk my way out of things, show something. It didn't matter. I just keep getting more judgment towards me. You know? It's like... Hey, you're messed up if you do or you don't kind of thing. And I'm like, I hate that feeling. But you can't change that person's mind. And what I want them to do is to climb into my world and see things from my perspective in life and what's going on. And so if, if you're going to make some judgment statements here, some qualifications, some discernment, then come into my world 
Judge not lest you be judged. Let's change that to judge in the same manner. You have discernment in the same manner of which you would want to have someone come after you. In fact, I don't want them to come after me. I want them to give me grace and understanding. If you were in a place of condemnation this morning, I want to give you good news. Life in the kingdom of God is not about condemnation, even when you're living in sin. Now, sin is sin. There is right from wrong. Biblically, we are exhorted uh, that there is a pathway, but it's not to steal or kill our joy. It's to give us hope. I say this a lot. Sometimes we think in terms of the, the rules, if I can use that word, that God places around us are not to constrict us and to kill our joy any more than if uh, we have a fence in the backyard so our little children don't run and scurry somewhere away, maybe onto a railroad track next door. The fence is for the protection of the child. Or maybe there's a fence around your pool. Why? Because you don't want them to fall into the pool. God's commands of Scripture are not to still kill and destroy. That's what Satan does. Jesus says, I have come that you may have life and have it to the fullest. And so you have to come biblically to understand that that which is laid out by God, going back to the Ten Commandments and further on, he is laying these things out for our life. And so discernment as it relates to what we need to be doing and not doing is for the hope of our life, not for uh, the destruction and deterioration of our life. But in that, we do not, even if we are outside of God's divine will and we know we're living in sin or disobedience, that kind of thing, life in the kingdom is not about God coming and giving you condemnation. He's a rightful judge, and in the end, when this life passes, when we pass from this life or the Lord returns before then, there will be rightful uh, judgment that comes from God. But his desire continually is to pull you and I into a loving, healing relationship. But when Jesus was looking eyes on with the people he was preaching to, he was like, wow, man, you guys are really harsh. You're really pretty hard on people. Judge Judge others in the same manner that you would wish to be judged. But it does not have anything to do with not judging in our culture. And this is a challenge. Some of you, um, if you're dialed into a lot of uh, bantering in uh, contemporary culture, maybe even news, those kinds of things, you catch yourself as a believer in Christ scratching your head like, what am I to do? You know, I, I can't win either way. And what's happening in our culture right now Christianity, which used to be very much uh, an accepted kind of belief system, right? We're country-born and Christendom kind of thing, right? That it's moved from acceptance to being marginalized to being looked down on to being forbidden. It's like, what's, I, I'm caught up in this movement of my culture, and what am I to do? Because there's all kinds of abandonment of anything biblically that's happening. And it may not even be something that you do. It's just maybe because you're associated with the Christian name tag. 
I was reminded this week, someone uh, uh, was reading after, was sharing that, uh, any of you guys, uh, uh, Chip and Joanna, jo- Joanna Gaines fans, all right, they used to have a show called The Fixer Upper, right? Well, uh, Chip, and if, if you've fallen in that trap, I, w- I found a new show this week, the guy that used to do The Extreme Home Makeover, what's his name? They're, they're, yeah, they're like doing a whole uh, cul-de-sac block, like rock the block or something kind of thing. And I was watching that, and I'm like, wow, I could style it. And I used to do a lot of home improvements, and, and my wife was like, yeah, some of them worked, and some of them still aren't done yet. And, you know, y- you get into these things, like, oh, I can make that, right? So uh, Chip and <laughs> Joanne Gaines, they, they had a really pretty good show, and they got a, a great business down. They've moved on to some other kinds of things. But a few years ago, they really got judged, if you will. Now, their show, The Fixer Upper, was not a uh, Christian show, but they themselves are Christian, and it was a very whole holistic show, and you enjoyed it, and you watched it. Maybe you got some ideas from it, that kind of thing. But then they got lamb-blasted because they, as Christians, went to a church, and the preacher at that church made a statement that Marriage is between one woman and one man. And they thought that, oh, you're associated with that church. You must have, you know, bigoted ideas, right? Other kinds of things. So, and, you're, and they got caught in this web of, wait a second. No. I mean, if you took this Bible and you looked at what it taught and it laid out, there is nowhere in this Bible that the idea that marriage is not between one woman and one man comes out. It's just assumed. There's probably nothing else that you can assume more deeply than, yeah, but in our culture today, what? Same-sex attraction, all the, the movement towards these things. It's almost like you are a bigoted, judgmental person if you believe that marriage is between one man and one woman. Judge not lest you be judged. Judge not lest you be judged. You know, what? And, and, and you don't have any hatred towards anybody. But Scripture lays out certain ways, the pathways. This is the right way. Is God created human beings and... and I. I I don't know what to do sometimes. And so we just, you don't say a thing. And there goes the drift of culture where Christianity is not just being marginalized, it's being condemned. So what are we to do? So we just to sit back, carry, and say, well, that's what Jesus said, man, I'm just going to step back and go. Jesus was not saying anything related to the right and wrong of sin. He was talking about how we who are a part of the kingdom need to be addressing and living in that kingdom. And we don't have to shy away from a a biblical worldview or a biblical-based morality, but it's the spirit by which we carry it towards others. And whether it's non-Christians or Christians that are caught in a web of sin, Jesus is saying, do not judge with a condemnation type of spirit in your life. Now, I want you to think of somebody that you've got a pretty good bead on making some judgment about. I can think of several people. God did it to me this week. It's like, think of a few names that you've got a judgmental spirit about what they did to you or what's going on. 
Christians, non-Christians, whatever it may be. It can be popular kind of people. I mean, think about it. Now, Carrie, what kind of spirit do you have towards that individual? Is it a spirit of condemnation and ill will? Or is it a redemptive spirit that you desire for them to be able to walk back into the wholeness of life? Jesus, he addressed it straight on. He addressed it straight on, and then he said this, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? Ooh. He starts to turn it and make it very personal. Do you realize that all of us can identify with this passage as it relates to being able to, I'll say it, love the sinner but hate the sin. I know it's a common phrase, right? Do you know why we're able to identify with that so well? Because that's us. We know where we have fallen and where we sin. But yet we still love ourselves and we trust that God can help us find a pathway out. And so Jesus says in this whole judgment kind of exhortation, don't condemn. There is right or wrong. There is sin. And, and by the way, if, if you just look at the verses that are coming up, this whole thing of, of judgment and judgment not, uh, is, is not saying that uh, there's not right or wrong. Because it says just a few verses later, it says that you need to discern what tree is producing good fruit and what tree's not. It also says don't cast your pearls before swine. All that's requiring us to have some type of judgment call as to what's good, what's wrong, what's not. But for us, if we can personalize it as he takes this turn, we realize that we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so when it comes to judgment, let's look at the planks in our own eye. And we've talked about this passage before. It's really actually Jesus adding humor. It's like taking a huge two-by-four, right, and sticking it up in your eyeball, and then you swing around to your friend and say, let me get that little speck out of your eye over there. You've messed up a little bit over here, and you got this big old two-by-four. You got a, a, a telephone pole sticking out of your eye. And you can see what he's preaching here on the hillside. They sort of chuckle a little bit. They didn't have telephone poles, but they knew what a big board, a big piece of lumber was. It's like, yeah, I guess you're right. Do not look at the speck of sawdust in someone else's eye, in your brother's eye, and pay no attention to the plank that's in your own eye. How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You, what? Hypocrite! First take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck 
that is in your brother's eye. It doesn't say not to try to help the person remove the speck in their eye. It just says you start from a position of discernment concerning your own life. If you're going to sort of be judging that's right and wrong, don't go down that path. That is just not a good path to go down. Maybe it's a path of promiscuity. Maybe it's a path of addictive behavior. Maybe it's a path of greed. Maybe it's a path of anger. And you're saying, don't go there. Don't go there. You're a genuine friend. You're trying to do that. But do it from a position, a disposition of knowing that you too have sinned and you can fall in these ways. And so it's not saying, don't judge. It's saying, don't condemn. Do it from a a kingdom of God position as one who's entered the kingdom of God. And God, we know that he is continually seeking to draw people to him because God chose not, what? To condemn the world, but to save the world. He chose to send his one and only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. That's the disposition of God. Yes, God's a judge, and there's a coming today when all wrongs will be made right, and he will establish a perfect heaven without a sin nature embodied in the people because he'll give us new bodies and redeem us as surely as the power of the resurrection speaks that. But God is exhorting us to be careful in how we go about our interactions with people and extend to them Our story of God's saving grace and his keeping grace even when we stumble and fall today. We are called by God to be kingdom agents of his good news, of the good life. He's not saying just shut up and live in your culture and let it, you know, go to waste. He's saying, no, you can you can speak rightfully. But engage people from not a disposition of condemnation, but one of rightful engagement, maybe of morality. And where is that based? You know, I can always engage people on the issue of right or wrong. You can just get back to saying something as blunt as saying, you know, in some countries they think it's okay to eat people. You think that's a good idea? What? There's no cannibals anymore. Well, you can probably find there's some isolated places, Indonesia or wherever. It's like, yeah, this well, no, that's not right. Oh, well, who says that's not right? Well, it's just not right. You're supposed to respect life or that kind of thing, right? You can get into a conversation, but then it's like, well, where? And we talked about this some in our student ministry on the existence of God had to do with there's a moral law. And where does the moral law come from? Well, there has to be a moral law giver between what's right and what's wrong, right? Even with a culture that's numb and going amiss in so many different directions, there's something inside of us as a human being created in the image of God that says that's wrong and this is right. So there is a moral law that distinguishes those two. And then you say from that conversation, well, who decides that? Is it by popular democratic vote? Because there's a lot of democratic vote that, that goes on in countries that you say, I don't know if that's really right or not. No, there is a God who establishes what life is all about. You can get engaged in these kinds of conversations, but do it from a spirit of love and encouragement for us to think rightly and let the Lord deal with their heart as he would choose to do himself so judge not unless you be judged and then he pulls up this whole speck and board out of your own eye right and then he says this in verse six and it's sort of a strange kind of verse it was real strange actually 
He says, do not give dogs what is sacred and do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Now, this is one of those passages where you say, well, that's real simple. You have to judge between what's a, you know, a pig and what's a dog and, and the pearls, those kinds of things. What's really probably happening here, and there's some different interpretations of it, is trying, Jesus is trying to give them perspective again on being able to rightfully steward what they have and what they believe. And knowing that there are, and pigs and swine, if you will, would have been probably, you know, cast as those who were not believers in God or a part of the kingdom of God, is that there are certain situations where uh, you have some great truth and heart. And even though we're called to be God's plan A and to be able to encourage people and acts of service and preach the gospel, good feet of those who bring good news, right? Is there's sometimes it's like casting pearls before swine. Pigs do not get any nourishment from pearls, but pearls are precious. Pigs would want to chow down on something else, right? And Jesus has said, uh, you know, do not give to dogs what is sacred. Don't throw your pearls to the pigs. And, and it's just be discerning in your articulation of the gospel's message and the hope you have, your story. And sometimes you just need to back away because it's just not the right time. Or there's not going to be any nourishment by you casting. And don't then fall into that judgmental spirit of condemning them or stuffing the gospel down their throat. You really need this. You're messed up. Yeah, aren't we all? And yeah, Jesus transforms lies. But just be wise and discerning as to what's needed in, in that type of uh, predicament that maybe you would find yourself in. So these few verses that we just look at here in the Sermon on the Mount today, and that's all that we're really looking at there in the Sermon on the Mount, have to do with this whole subject and this issue of judgment. Judge others in the same measure that you would wish to be judged. And what I'd like to do is just give four exhortations related to standards of judging. All right? The first is this. Never judge superficially. Never judge superficially. And let me have us look at this verse. In John 7, 24, these are the words of Jesus himself. He says, stop judging by mere appearances, but instead judge correctly. You might have heard me share this story before. It's, it's just a story that just carries with me through the years. And it was a true story of a family who made their way from, I believe it was the Northwest, Oregon, Washington, to Disney World for vacation. And they drove there by car, and they were going to spend some time. But while they were there, there was a tragic accident on the way, actually, and the mother of this family died. And so they were placed, uh, the kids and dad were placed on an airplane with... Um, uh, the leading to go back to home to deal with this. And the kids were very unruly. They were very upset. And there was another person on the plane, and trust me, I can judge people on planes. Anyway, it's this idea of like, well, who are they? Or what kind of, can, can you control that? Or whatever. Oh, well, there was judgment going on there. And it was like, why can't this dad control his kids? Maybe you've heard me say this before. And then what? He tries to explain to this other passenger, well, there was this accident, and their mother passed away, and she is in a wooden box in the cargo bay. Oh. The moment you find that out, you, you do what? I'm so sorry, 
right? You contextualize it. Be mindful that when you do make judgment and discernment, or you talk appropriately about what God says is sin or not sin, stop judging people by mere appearances. But if you're going to judge, and these are words of Jesus, he says to judge correctly, right? You're trying to take the whole of Scripture. You know, we're not taking just one thing, judge not lest you be judged. Not. Jesus is saying this passage, you need to judge correctly. You need to have discernment in this. But do not do it superficially. Do not do it superficially because there are certain things that on the outside have certain appearances, but on the inside of a person's life, that's, that's not all that's going on. So in your discernment, of what's right and wrong, and trying to help people with the good news to lead them to the good life. Be compassionate and never judge superficially. The second is never judge hypocritically. Never judge hypocritically like the board in the eye or the sawdust speck, right? It says this in Romans 2.1. You, therefore, have no excuse, you who pass judgment to someone else, for whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same things. And it goes on in verse 4 and it says, Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you towards repentance? I don't know. I'm a human being and I fall short a lot. I am utterly amazed by God's grace and his forbearance and his steadfast love with some people, which I would say I'm done. But you and I have a great God. He desires that all would be saved. And he is calling people his kindness, his forbearance and his patience is leading them to a place of repentance. And hopefully they're going to see some of that through your life and how you treat them. I remember once when we first planted a church, Melissa and I did, and we just got married and we started this church and people showed up for the first informational meeting and there was this one guy and I said, hey, you want to just do lunch this week, whatever? And we sat down to do lunch and he didn't do it in a mean way, but he leaned across that lunch table. He looked me in the eye and he says, I'm a homosexual. He told me that because he wanted to see what my reaction was. Am I going to judge, condemn, or am I going to continue to have a conversation and point him to life in Jesus? And by God's grace, I might have flinched. I don't know. He said later I didn't totally respond bad, right? Because you're like, oh, okay, what, what, what am I supposed to do with that information? I mean, yeah, there, I'm not, but I want to love people and God makes people unique, but biblically in that category, there is right and wrong as to how he made us male and female. And I want to share the love of Jesus, but I don't want to stand in the way by having some type of judgmental spirit because Jesus is calling them to himself. And he can change and make wrongs right. He can give direction and guidance to individuals. I am not, not only not their judge, but I'm not their ultimate counselor, right? 
I may counsel in a moment, but the Holy Spirit's the ultimate counselor. And I am not the one that they're to worship. If I can get them on the pathway of Jesus, then he will speak his word and bring them to a place where they need to be, as he deems. But I need not to be hypocritical. Because you see, as Christians, we like to pick out certain kinds of sins. And I'll stay in that whole sexual category. We like to pick out certain sins. Oh, yeah, that one's wrong, or that would be wrong, that kind of thing. And all the time, we have people, Christians in name, that think it's okay to have sex before marriage, fornication, or the number of people that don't press through with brokenness in their marriage, and they just say, well, I'll just get a divorce. Or maybe there's adultery that happens while you're married. And it's like, oh, we just cover over that. Those, those are, well, that's right. But these over here, these are bad. No. Do not judge, discern, lay out God's law in a hypocritical kind of spirit. And you can move to all other kinds of categories, too. There are certain sins that we as Christians, we sort of, well, we just sort of give a nod to it. It's not that big of a deal. And then others, like we are all up in arms about. Jesus sees it all. He knows our brokenness. He knows the fallen sinful nature that he has, but he is always working with his kindness to lead us towards repentance. Never judge superficially. Never judge hypocritically. Lord, shine the light on my life. Third is never hold non-Christians to Christian standards. Hey, but by the grace of God, there go I in so many ways. I... It, it's like there's certain, and now we have a new one in our household, right? I'm, I'm sure that there'll probably be some rules that develop. But in our family, we, we have sort of a set of understanding of how you operate in a Bowman household, right? You do too. Your family, there's certain things. And so in the family of Christ, there's certain uh, directions and guidelines and understandings, and this is how we did. I'm not expecting you when you come to visit us to toe the line uh, that you have to do the dishes, you know, if you didn't prepare the food which is one of sort of our rules around that kind of thing. And it's like, oh, okay. Yeah, we're just glad to have you here. So don't impose upon non-Christians a Christian standard. Understand that God, as I mentioned, will do the work in them. It says this in 1 Corinthians 5, 12 and 13. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside God will judge those outside. Now, this is a verse talking about the evildoer that's within the house of God and to take uh, rightful action because they'll be destructive. And that's, that's an appropriate kind of step to you know, call someone in to try to you know, encourage, hey, this is wrong, this is hurtful, these kinds of things. But we should not impose on the family, on people outside the family of God what the inside of family of God lifestyle is called to be. So, Never judge superficially, never judge hypocritically, never hold non-Christians to Christian standards. And finally, I just want to say this, always help restore fallen believers. Galatians 6.1, brothers and sisters, that's an inside family thing, right? Brothers and sisters. Family talk here. If someone is caught in a weakness or a misdoing, no, if someone is caught in sin, if someone is caught in sin and there's discernment in this, you who live by the Spirit 
should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. What a beautiful verse in Galatians 6.3. May we be mindful that we are to restore each other with gentleness. And how do we do that? It's real simple. We just have to look at Jesus and who he is by his very essence. John 1.14 says what? The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we have seen the glory, glory of the only Son, the one and only Son, who, what? Came from the Father, full of, what? Grace and, what? Grace and truth. And those are the two you're holding in balance. If you're just truth, 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 it'll lead someone to rebellion and drive them away. If you're just grace, 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 everything's fine. Yes, yes, you're okay. It's going to lead them into license for more sin and waywardness. But if you hold the two in balance, as Jesus himself, he came full of, and it's good that the word grace is first, I think, full of grace and truth, then he can bring the redemption. He can bring the wholeness. And you and your spirit of trying to give direction to that person will be able to lead them into a path, onto a pathway of redemption and transformation. So there's some of your judging standards. Judge not lest you be judged. No. It's like, don't condemn. But there is a natural judgment and discernment of what's wrong. And people, there is a definition for sin in Scripture. And sin will lead a person to destruction. Maybe it's led your life to destruction in this room this morning. I want you to know that the grace and the truth of Jesus is there for you. So don't judge superficially. Don't judge hypocritically. Make sure you're not trying to hold a non-Christian, some type of Christian standard. And then always restore the fallen person with grace and with truth. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. We're just going to sing a refrain of that song of getting back to the heart of worship. The ushers are going to take their places to receive the Lord's tithes and offerings as well as your connect cards.